<laughs> Welcome to the show, Nemanja. Thank you for joining us. Hey guys, uh, good to finally finally meet you. Like after I had to postpone it like a few times. So <laughs> sorry about that. Hey, it's okay. We've we've been. Uh, I think we originally engaged back in maybe Juneish, um, and we're we're getting there now, and that's okay. We're we're finally there, getting your expertise on the show. So that's awesome. Engaged. What a serious word. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? All right, so. Madra, we like to do, we're very unconventional on this podcast, which is kind of actually what we want to talk about today when it comes to marketing. Um, that's something that I'm a big believer in and being unconventional and don't do the traditional stuff that everyone is doing. Otherwise, you're just part of noise. So let's, let's, uh, let's start with like, first of all, like you, you run a company called Funky Marketing. Talk to us a little bit about it. Talk to us a little bit about why you decided to lean all the way in to funky marketing. Yeah, the, the thing is, uh, it all started with, uh, I think, uh, with my background, which is in uh, informal education, working with you, those kind of stuff, when I learned to kind of focus on the value and then the money will follow. And it was hard then to, you know, to turn things around, but when I actually turned them around, then I realized I can sell anything. Right, and it, then it gets it gets easier. Uh, so I specialize in performance marketing, been on that side of the thing, and it was always like you know uh, automation works while you sleep, right? <laughs> but what I found what I found out it another truth, and it is that it works also until you have the budget, right? Until you have the money. When you don't have the money, it doesn't work. Then you need brand, then you need content, then you need other stuff. Uh, so. Um, after working in multiple agencies and uh, involving startups in different roles, basically I founded Funky Marketing uh, to do something on my own and uh, to basically try to get marketing to where it belongs when people are actually doing marketing and marketing is doing what it should be doing. Uh, and I didn't know that I'm going to go into the B2B until I basically when I started it. Uh, I had 9,000 connections on LinkedIn. I had a chat with like 250, 60 of them, like 50 minutes virtual calls, a lot of virtual coffees. And uh, I saw that there's a pattern repeating. It was like, it was December 2019. So uh, I saw that, you know, B2B was still like mystic, foggy, boring, those kind of stuff, <laughs> things that People are still talking about it now, and it's not like that now. Uh, and uh, I saw like, okay, there's some things that I can solve with some things that I know from B2C. Uh, and I engaged, the, the, one of the first clients was Impact Hub Belgrade. So I got to, uh, to be in charge for the whole uh, pre-acceleration program for the startups. So I got direct communication with startups and I got to prove if what I, what I have, like hypotheses are right or, or wrong. And basically I was just talking about it, share what we do, the results and everything on LinkedIn. And it is how I got the clients coming to us. And it is also how I got the people that I'm working with coming to me all inbound. And in the first year, like we closed uh, 47 companies all inbound. Actually it was in first 18 months. Uh, 47 companies all inbound, uh, 
from small to some of the bigger ones. Some of them are now like unicorn here in this part of the world. Uh, and basically uh, what where we are now at, at the point where we can say that we focus on strategy and research and add creativity to that to help uh, B2B tech companies create demand for the way B2B buyers buy now, which is a lot different from what I just told you that I found out in 2019 <laughs> and uh, you know 2020. It all changed for like in like scope of three years. Uh, I think internet matured and now the way we buy has changed. And so I help companies realize that, figure out how to measure, how to differentiate and how to actually create demand for, uh, for their products and services. See, so you just, you just unpacked a very important thing that I think people, people oftentimes get caught in this trap of doing things the same way they've always been done. Um, because they get caught in that trap because it's what's worked and they hear about it and they hear other people that it's worked for them. And so like, we're going to try that. Right. Um, but oftentimes they're already a year too late or maybe even two years too late. And marketing changes so much that you, you have to be dynamic. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what I love that you said is like, you've learned one thing when you were doing your research and talking to all these people and then realized, wow, we have to actually shift and change it a little bit because that's not going to work anymore. And you, you even mentioned at least twice in, in that conversation where B2B, uh, marketing, it needs to learn from some of the some of the things that have worked historically for B2C. Um, and oftentimes they're just seen as like two completely different worlds. And I just I, I love that because I do, I do think that it changes too often for us to get stuck into like the mentality of doing things just to do them. Um, and I want to I want to talk a little bit about some of the maybe unique ideas that you and your team have have come to the surface with with that for for companies and maybe some results that you've seen um give us some of those ideas talk to us about wh what you've seen that's been more of the funky side of marketing work yeah i'll give you i'll give you one uh which is quite simple that we did for ourselves first uh and it's kind of interesting in the by the end of the first year uh like Five of us from the company were all over LinkedIn, like generating, I think in that year, like 50 millions um, impressions uh, from all our profiles together. Uh, and uh, with all the LinkedIn influencers, uh, you know, those kind of lists, we were no, nowhere near. And it's not only the impressions, like we actually closed uh, a lot of companies, a lot of accounts. And the thing uh, that we said, okay, let's, let's instead of, uh, you know, writing a post how lists are uh, shit, let's create our own list. So we created a funky list. I asked people from our company, like, who are the 10 people from LinkedIn that you are following that are giving you value? And then, uh, you know, I used the average and we got around, I think, 20 people who were uh, on the funky marketing list. Uh, we published the lists, so uh, a lot of them actually added on their profiles like funky marketing influencer or something like that. I don't know what it, what it was, uh, <laughs> but um, we have done the podcast episode with them. 
Uh, that was the start of the Funky Marketing Show, the podcast. We then used that content to establish relationships with them. And then it was basically the source of the content for the whole year. Because uh, we, we did articles, we, we did video, we did audio, we got chop it up into three to eight smaller pieces, then some visuals, you know, and basically I like to say that things are always more simpler than we think and we can get repurpose them until the end of time. So, uh, and that was the starting foundation for, for a lot of things because it showed us how we can do some, some of the stuff also for the clients. Like um, one of the examples uh, that I can say is like the FinTech company. Here, one of the, one of the biggest uh, in, uh, in, in Serbia. Like FinTech, you know how is like the stiff industry. You cannot uh, do everything. Very regulated. You, you need, yeah, you need to have strict yes and strict no, and you can operate in between. So uh, for, for that company, we found out that uh, in between are the, the CEO's channel and the CMO's channel. Actually, it was the same person who was the CEO and CM, CMO, kind of. Uh, so uh, we said, let's bring their personality and showcase it uh, on LinkedIn with their profiles and then kind of get the traction. They had one company which is uh, like a portal, financial portal, and the other one was uh, the, the B2B ERP product, ERP. Uh, so uh, we basically, by growing their personal brands, we managed to get the customers for both companies. And some of them went really viral. Like when I say viral, I mean like, three to five million people from Serbia have seen it, meaning Serbia has like seven million people. <laughs> so uh, it was in Serbian. So that's why I know that, uh, that, you know, that those are people from Serbia. And it was totally different. Like COO was, uh, we asked uh, the, the, the CEO, it was a lady. We asked her like, what do you do? She said, I'm the fucking octopus. You should write that. <laughs> In my, in my bio. So uh, we actually added COO and in the brackets, chief octopus officer. You know, like those kind of things. And, and uh, the, the CEO was the guy who had a, a huge PR background. He is known for, you know, being on the TV and um, talking about giving people financial advices. So we used those things, added more, and just distributed on his profile, on, on YouTube as LinkedIn short, as YouTube shorts, and it just blew up. He started to go then on the podcast, on a business podcast, and so on and so on, and people started to talk also about that B2B product that was uh, in kind of in a back, because they you know, were always behind, like, oh, we need feedback, we need this feature, we need this feature, but then, like, people started to dig about them and the product got in the front and actually they ended up, uh, I found out that like a month ago, they ended up selling up one company and, and now they're building the product up. So uh, the portal, they got, they, they sold it. So it's kind of, kind of interesting. And also there was a thing where we went fully ironic. So like I'm hustling hard when I wake up, I work with Australia, then I work with New Zealand, then I start working from Serbia and India, then in the afternoon I work with US. In the meantime, I go and I do workouts, like I eat <laughs> only vegan food, only plants, those kind of things. And, I, and, I, and while doing all that, like I'm listening to 
what was the band? Ah, any, anyway, doesn't matter. Like hardcore, one of the hardcore bands famous uh, here. <laughs> but uh, you in the, you in the heavy metal? Uh, no, but uh, the lady who is CMO CEO was. So uh, <laughs> she was listening to uh, it was Duhast Ramstein. Yeah, and uh, actually, like the end of the post was like, uh, P.S. Everything is a lie except the Ramstein. <laughs> So uh, that that was kind of kind of interesting. But uh, one other example that I want to go through is uh, a huge company, one of the unicorn now going the almost pre-IPO and going to the IPO or to be sold uh, tech development company uh, called HT Group. And basically, when we got uh, into the company, they got to us inbound, so we were doing a couple of things. I'll explain, but the main thing was that they were looking at uh, Accenture. Accenture is the leader in the space, a company with, uh, I don't know, 100,000 people, I think 110,000 people working for them. Uh, and I'm mentioning them because all of those companies are measuring the success by how many people they have working inside the companies. So uh, when I started working with them, it was 300 people. In like four months, there were 800 people. Uh, that's the speed they were growing with. What the thing was that they were trying to copy Accenture and to do what Accenture is doing now, uh, when they are smaller, more flexible, and they can go try out things uh, and you know, actually be different by being more flexible. And so we implemented that through the content, work with, uh, with the CEO, the CMO, and the team, establish early the, some of the basics of the content. Now they have their own marketing team and the content. Uh, and also what, what one thing that we have done, we educated the whole marketing sales, uh, C-level, and also some of the engineers who were who are the team leaders about LinkedIn. So how to build a personal brand and how to implement that brand inside uh, the employer brand. And uh, it got them the huge results. They were focusing only on that and got them the growth of like 800 people. Now basically uh, there's a joke on LinkedIn that everybody who uh, like 80% of the people that you see in the feed from that industry are working in HTEC. <laughs> you know, it's kind of fu funny, but that's how it goes. Uh, and the thing is, the what I want to emphasize, the CMO was the guy who actually knew what he was doing. And we got the nice feed. He recognized us as somebody who can help him from the start, just generate uh, the foundation and set up everything for success. He has one strategy, which is open the new market uh, every month, no matter how small it is, no matter if they if those people have job because they had the funding. So and they're still doing it, and that's one thing that uh, that gets them that gets them going. I mean, we work with uh, with now I think around 70 companies in a short period of time. So there are a lot of stuff that I can that I can say. Some of those uh, I think that I can mention user guiding. The one of the top 10 uh, startups from uh, from Turkey. Basically, uh, we, we helped them find out they were looking for who, for which category they should rank for, because uh, they are onboarding tool, but they are also no code tool. 
their project management tool. People are using it for different purposes and they were like lost. What should we focus on? Which category uh, are we under? So uh, luckily they were recording conversations like the customer success was having conversation with the customers, but also the product team from different sides. Uh, and what we found out just by listening to the calls and getting uh, a research into those things is that they can rank for all those categories. They are, they are typing six or seven different things when they look for them. So basically the conclusion was let's build uh, the media company. So, and dominate all the categories. Why should we go just for one? And basically uh, it was the hard work. Like I think we were <laughs> writing 50 articles per month at, at once. Uh, that's the whole different, different thing because we were using even the AI, combine it with the research, with all different kind of stuff. Uh, but it allowed them to grow. Now they're in, uh, I think in top five in the majority of categories that they are going after in most of them top three or even number one. And the thing is, it helps them now gather the, it was a series A, now they are gathering the series B, now they're close to, I think, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, I think it's around 2 million in revenue. So uh, growing really well, coming from Turkey, going to the US, and also what, what turns out is to be that uh, not only US, but the South America market is is great for them. So uh, yeah, a lot of different stuff that we were doing and it helped us actually position to what and got to what we are doing now, which is kind of a little bit different. We are not doing all those different stuff, but just focusing on, you know, setting up the metrics, uh, creating sort of like, uh, I think we can go and use Chris Walker as a reference, like sort of like R&D department, because we are coming with hypotheses, proving them uh, if they are right or wrong after we, we figure out how we are closing demand. So, uh, and basically just one by one, uh, we are working to make it right. And then we go to the next one. And that's how we develop develop the, the company from the marketing side and affecting the revenue. One of the first examples you gave, which I love, is this sort of value add first approach. So you went out and you found these influencers <clears throat> and you, a lot of these influencers probably didn't necessarily need you to give them a shout out, right? They probably didn't need it because they're already an influencer, but you did it anyway. and. I totally understand why you did. Uh, you provide value first to get them to potentially give you value back. And from that, then you were able to turn them into podcast guests, which then turned into a whole slew of content that you were able to do with these influencers, which just amplifies your brand and your agency. Um, this has historically worked fantastically well, and it's a very unconventional approach because not a lot of people do this. Um, yeah, th this just, type just of to give, give you uh, one step before that is before we got into that, uh, I didn't know where I was uh, and where we was compared to knowledge and experience to some of the most experienced and people who are, you know, on top of LinkedIn based to where we want to be. So I invited them to learn the background stories. And the first 10 episodes that I ever recorded were interviews when I listened. And I see, aha, uh -huh, can I talk about these things? 
do have I actually done some of those things? What's the background? Is this similar or no? And after the 10 episodes, uh, I actually started discussing with them on the same level. And it lifts up the whole thing. That's where I'm, I was like, okay, I can actually talk on the same level with those people. Yeah. Well, Brian is one of those rare c CEOs that <laughs> it, like believes in the unconventional, uh, approaches things in a very unconventional way when it comes to marketing. So I'd love Brian for you to put your CEO hat on for a second and talk about it from your perspective on what it's like to do unconventional marketing uh, and some of the things you've seen work. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, well, there are two things that are kind of coming to mind here. The first, uh, I remember when when we were going through our, our courtship process together, you and I, James, and uh, we, had, we had closed our round of funding and we knew that getting a marketing leader into into the organ into the leadership team was like priority number one uh, and that really forced right it forced two things for me it forced me to get very introspective around like what the type of person was that we were looking for and then it also forced me to go out and have 50 60 70 conversations with um, marketing leaders and one of the strong conclusions that i came to through that process was that the best marketers today and going forward are the ones that are very strong in data and creativity, uh, which is very much so in line with uh, kind of you talking about your own strategy and, and some of the examples that you gave. So I think that that, that is kind of like one line of thought that, that comes. And then on the, the LinkedIn piece of it, uh, <laughs> I would say that I didn't really have any choice. I had kind of decided that, that James was the guy and James had some, some terms of engagement for, for coming on. And <laughs> one of those terms of engagement was being active on LinkedIn and, and doing this podcast as well. Um, I and think there was even a point, Brian, where I said, you like I I can't take this role, and we're not going to be successful unless you, and and at least one other founder, is posting at least once a week on LinkedIn. And I think that your, I think your initial bargaining position was once a day, and then <laughs> I came back to you, and then I came back to you, and I was like, I can I can commit to once a week, um, but it's like it 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 all right. I, I wouldn't have done it unless I also kind of thought about it and thought that it made sense and did come to that conclusion. And then, right, it, it doesn't take long to to kick in, right? It's kind of like LinkedIn is one of those places where it feels like there are way more people that are on the platform and consuming content than there are creating content. And there are more and more people that are contributing content every day, uh, but it still feels like a huge imbalance. Um, and, and relatively quickly, there are just like nuggets and right, those anecdotes, right? We talk all the time about there's so much data out there that's at our fingertips for how the things that we're doing are performing. And we need to like understand all of that data, but we also need to understand the limitations of that data. And 
part of what fills the gaps for the limitations of the data is like the anecdotal stuff that you hear. Um, and it's like, right, so-and-so mentioned something on a sales call or like a DM comes in from somebody in the industry and, and all of those sorts of things. Uh, so I've certainly been uh, fully converted into, into a believer and I'm, and I'm on the ride. It's, it's funny. So I want to bring this kind of full circle back to some of, um, you know, the MO of really this podcast, which is kind of driving the experience that people have with brands. And, um, you know, some chalk that up to the customer experience, some just chalk it up to brand. Uh, but ultimately, it all boils down to creating a good environment that you can publicly put out there to the world and also something that the business itself can benefit from. And Manja, I want to ask you just a couple of quick questions to kind of draw this in, because I'd love to get your thoughts on some of this. There is a massive amount of automation that exists today and probably to a point where sales and marketing have probably over automated processes and communication to the point where it's saturated the market, uh, where buyers like myself and others just are so sick of it. Right. Um, but automation in very specific areas still works incredibly well when it comes to marketing. Um, and there's also a notion on like the customer experience side and the support side where automation is fearful for brands for that same reason. They think it's going to get in the way. And I would love to get your thoughts. Like there are, there are components of automation that are value add. There are components of automation that are not. And I'd love to know where, where does your mind go when it comes to funky marketing on, on automation? Yeah, it's, it's a good question because I, I specialized in that for, for like two years. I was focused on marketing automation, email marketing, website personalization, even when, you know, when you automate how the website will transform based on where the person is coming from. Did they click the ad or they come through the email or they come through the social, you know, the whole, we had a few, a few tools that allow us to change the whole structure of the website, the hero photo, the hero uh story the testimonials they were all different based based on that uh and the thing is that that i see especially now when i look at the like abm and those kind of stuff is that people look uh as uh automation as tools as something that that creates the magic right we will just use the automation and it will help us uh you know get to the results but it doesn't work that way. You need to first do it manually on your own, test it out, see, find out what's actually working, then repeatedly doing, do it until you get to the certain, uh, even, you know, you can count it in the number of accounts that you close, or you can count it in like 1.5 million in revenue or something like that coming through that channel or through that process, and then you automate it. Then you, when you know that, uh, you know, you have all the perspectives in mind, you know all the things that can happen, you have everything, you saw everything, you eliminated all the things that, uh, that can be an obstacle, then you automate it and you move to building a, a second thing. So uh, that's kind of the end process when you have everything finished and you add the automation to kind of uh, just keep doing what you have already proven that is working. 
uh, from that side, yes. When I don't see it working very well, is people abu abuse the automation, right? And they look at it, uh, I see so many people that messed up like personalization and automatization. You know, it's, it's not the same thing. And sure, uh, <laughs> automation in most cases means, even when I was working in B2C, means that it's not that I need to draw how you will buy from me. I need to draw the pattern and you will go through it and buy from me. That's not how it goes. I need to get to know the customers, find out all the go reverse engineering, find out how the buyer journey is going. And then basically automation, when we set it up, is here to help people buy in their own way. But we are making sure that uh, you know, they're finding the right stuff over there that will kind of create the relationship with them in every step of the journey. And automation can help us in that way. So we don't need, I don't know, like 10 people to manage all of that, but we can have technology built in. But before we get into that, we need to actually, you know, go through the process and do it on our own or dedicate the person who will do it for us. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I, lo I love that. And I want to call out something that you said too, and, and that's that you're right. Like automation is, is not personalization and personalization is not autom automation. Um, but I also want to call out the fact that like personalization isn't just um, high first name. <laughs> Changing the name, yeah. <laughs> that's not personalization. Um, you know, we've been kind of playing around a little bit with personalization, as Brian knows, uh, here at Flip. And one of the things that we, we do is, like, we're a voice company, right? So we provide this Alexa-like experience for, for businesses. So why not, like, personalize the voice, put our robot out there, and actually leverage it? So we, we created these fun little videos where our robot is literally talking to these brands. Instead of, it's, instead of it being me or Brian or Sam, it's our robot personalized talking to these accounts um that's personalization uh it's not like oh, hey namanja <laughs> same email for everyone else <laughs> that's not personalization so i want to clarify that and and by the way what what you just unpacked for us with personalization and automation is also it, it's it's relevant across b2b companies or b2c companies i think b2c companies actually in, in a lot of ways, <laughs> probably do this more than they should. Um, they, they automate thinking that it's, it's a good thing and a good communication touch point um, where they probably needed to dive a little bit deeper in what the customer really wanted um, versus just sending that communication out. So I, I love the fact that you mentioned that. Yeah, one uh, more let me let me let me just say say one thing. When we when we talk about what marketing does in B two C, where automation is much more present in that way, it is that marketing sells, right? In B two C marketing sells, you don't have a salesperson. Uh, in in B two B there is a salesperson, and uh, you know, but it's because marketing is not doing what marketing should do in that way and you you mentioned the buyer's journey and the experience and everything else like you can use marketing to kind of have the seamless experience when they buy come to buy your product because it's technology and there's a lot of companies a lot of similar products and buying experience is the one thing that can differentiate you like the thing that you mentioned with the voice with the robots those kind of things <coughs> and then also 
you know, do you need to have like, I don't know, three or four people that are kind of creating, all, all of them are creating relationship, actually two of them marketing, then BDR, then the AI comes to kind of close the deal. The person that you don't know, you know. So th those kind of things, I think it's, uh, it's extremely important to, to have in mind and to focus on the buyer. How would they feel that we are different and how that different is good for them? Totally agree. We, we always like to ask our guests, Nemanja, a couple of weird off the wall questions that have nothing to do with the topic. So we're gonna do that now. Um, just for Love just it. for the kicks of it, right? So we talk a lot on this podcast about really amazing experiences that people have or really bad ones. So I'd love for you to unpack an experience that you've recently had, positive or bad, with a brand. You don't necessarily have to mention the brand if you don't want to, but we're all about mentioning them if you if you really. Oh want. yeah, I, I can I can say one. I don't know if it's good or bad. I think it's a mix of both. But, okay. but I, I, I love the brand more because of the experience. Uh, I would say that I can, I can name the brand. It's, it's all good because uh, I did all the commenting in public. So it's, it's metadata. Uh, and I love their branding, how they are different, how they are communicating. But one message was, uh, was showing in my feed every single morning when I wake up for three months or even more. A and I was like, you know, I'm working on those stuff as well so you know i know that they don't look at the frequency and i'm like i wrote the comment like guys maybe you want to check the frequency of this one i'm seeing it every morning you know nobody answered because they don't look at the comments on the ads so uh, after a couple of months they had a post and somebody or somebody else had a post about <coughs> you know the frequency and those kind of things and i said man i'm still seeing the ad you know, that's funny. Uh, so uh, I mentioned them and I said, because uh, they were like an example of metadata as a good one. I said, uh, look, they are great, but maybe they can start thinking about the frequency. So uh, they answered uh, and they say, oh, okay, you know, those kind of like, uh, it was like, sorry, we just saw it, now it's fixed, you know, like that. And then I basically screenshotted that and I added, uh, you know, as a post and I gave the background story and everything. Uh, and what's funny thing is that the CMO, uh, the name is not in my, on my Jason. mind right now, Jason, or it yeah. was the, the other guy, uh, doesn't matter. But one of, one of them added the comment, Nemanja, oh, and, and like the, the crying thing, like, it happens. We fucked up, you know. Sometimes we, for, <laughs> we forget about things. We are humans, you know. Those kind of stuff. And the whole team of metadata came to the post, engage, share all all different stuff, you know. And it's kind of like the hug at the end, yeah. you know. It felt like that. And they created that that thing. It wasn't me. I just saw some of the things that bother me. I reached out, uh, and they. Go, went all the way to create that kind of experience about, you know, the simple thing that they forgot to look for. Love that. I, I have a very similar experience with, with Drift. Drift was showing me like um, the top five CMO guide or something like that. For I, I'm not kidding you. I was getting this thing for like th four or five years. Same ad. Four or five years. 
<laughs> and I find it is one of those things that it is one of those things that makes you think that they're just like like the company's just not really on top of what they're doing. Well, I don't even know if I don't even know if I would chalk it up to that. I would say more so like they're they're looking at the vanity metrics more than they're looking at the things that probably really matter. Like just looking at like Brian, I just sent you some stuff yesterday uh, on what what I would consider vanity metrics, but they're a pulse of being able to see like how well is this performing based on industry standard. I think more often than not, the paid realm of 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 marketing gets caught into into that and looking at those vanity metrics of like what is our uh, cost per click, what is our impressions look like on these ads. Well, all that matters in the grand scheme of things in the aggregate. Uh, ultimately, if it's not like actually converting people, um, and sometimes it's tough to tie the attribution back to that exact ad, which is probably why Drift and metadata got caught in that because <laughs> they probably me, couldn't me, let tie me give it. You just uh, just a different perspective on the Drift because I have a positive experience with them. Because like b back in the days, they when they uh, created the category, right, conversational marketing, they published the book. Actually, it's a conversational thing if they created the category or, or they did something else. But anyway, that's how it was presented. We bought a book. Like the, I was the director of operation in the agency. The CEO bought a book. Uh, and the thing is, um, they shipped it out to Serbia all the way from the US. And the two weeks after that, the postman came and he said, there is one more package, one more book uh, for you from Drift said we didn't order anything and it's it was actually a gift that they sent to everybody who bought conversational marketing and it was things that don't scale a small book of 40 things that they have done to build a hyper growth company <laughs> it's the book that i gave to every new employee that came to the agency to look out so, so they can start thinking and start seeing the big picture you know I like and that. there i saw that's the value you know when nobody expects anything from you, you just give them additional value and it's something that actually help you build your company. What a great way to end the podcast. That's awesome. Manja, thank you so much for joining the Spamming Zero podcast today. Thank you guys for inviting me. It was a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Don't forget to subscribe. Every week we have one of these episodes. And stay tuned because we got some big surprises in 2023 that you're going to love. Um, so stay tuned for that. And we'll see you each and every week. Thanks for joining us.